We're looking at the final days of Judah and the history of Judah and the history of the city of Jerusalem at this time. God's going to make one final effort to turn them around and to bring them back. Jeremiah lived about a hundred years after Isaiah. Isaiah had been able to save Jerusalem, but not the northern kingdom, not the ten tribes, not most of Judah from Assyria. They had been defeated and carried away. So now Jeremiah is trying to do this. The things that are going on internally with the nation is, again, the northern kingdom had fallen, defeat after defeat, only Jerusalem is left, and the people have ignored the warnings of the prophet. Their hearts grew harder in their idolatry and their wickedness. But internationally, this was going on. Three world powers were fighting for supremacy. Sounds a little bit like today, doesn't it? Assyria was in power for 300 years, but they were losing their grip. Sounds like us. You know, we've been the most powerful nation. We're starting to lose some of that influence we had around the world. They were now becoming weak. Babylon was the new nation on the scene, and they were rising in power. Maybe kind of like China is. China's kind of getting powerful and strong. And then Egypt, a thousand years before they ruled the whole world, now they were beginning to have ambition to be a world ruler again. Kind of like Russia. Russia was real powerful, and now they're trying to regain. I don't know if that works, but I was kind of came to me while I was studying. Babylon wins out, though, defeating Assyria in 607 B.C., and then Egypt a couple years later. And then for 70 years, Babylon ruled the world, the same 70 years that the Jewish nation was in captivity. Last week, Pastor Brandon asked us, which race were we in? We looked at chapters, um, I don't know, the five chapters before this, and the question was, were you running with men or were you running with horses? Are you trying to make yourself better or are you allowing the Creator to make you what He wants to make you? And so he asked us that question, Which race are you in? Not the race on foot, but the race on horses. He said something that kind of intrigued me because he said that even on that race, you might get some saddle sores. Remember that? He said there might be some saddle sores as you're riding that horse. Well, I'm going to ride in the chariot. You know, I'm going to go one step further. I said, why not just take it and get in the chariot? So in chapter 15, last week, we saw God was not uh, not going to be relent in his judgment. In verse 16, chapter 15, verse 16, we read this. Your words were found and I ate them, Jeremiah said, and your word was in me and joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God. The importance of God's word. That's why we go through it. That's why we go through it from Genesis to Revelation. Chapter 17, we saw that it was a heart issue. We saw in verses 5 and 6, one side of our heart. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. And he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited, versus blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, 
For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots in, by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaves will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding its fruit. And so there was this battle going on, and then these verses that we've heard so much, so many times before, the heart is deceitfully, deceitful above all things, who desperately, it is desperately wicked, who can even know it? I, the Lord, search the heart, and I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Tonight, in chapter 18, we're going to ask another question, actually a couple questions. One is, a vessel? Question mark. Another one I'm going to ask you is, why can't the potter do with you like he does with the clay? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the prophets. We thank you for the law. We thank you for the history. We thank you for the Psalms and the books of wisdom of the Old Testament. We thank you for the Gospels and the Acts and the epistles and the Revelation in the New Testament, Lord. It is all good and good for us. So, Lord, teach us from it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jeremiah chapter 18, the potter and the clay. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my word. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so I made it again to another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord, look as the clay is in the potter's hand. So are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build it and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight, so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good which I said I would benefit it. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devastating a plan and devising a plan against you. Return now, every one of you, from his evil ways, and make your ways and your doings good. What a contrast from chapter 17 and a change in the, Im- in the imagery that we were seeing. You know, Jeremiah has done a great job of, of showing us a lot of different colorful things as we've been looking at these early chapters. But look at verse 12 of the last chapter, chapter 17. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. A glorious high throne is our sanctuary. You know, when you think about the throne, you think about God's authority. You think about his government and his actions and his sovereignty. That's what a throne is all about. 
But when you think about a sanctuary like this, this is our sanctuary. This is our retreat. I think some of us haven't come on Sunday nights to retreat to fellowship, to worship, to hearing the word of God, and to being with one another. Can you imagine if we could get those two together? That when you retreat, when you come into a sanctuary, you're actually coming into where the throne is? Well, that's what it says. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. That's the kind of sovereignty, that's the kind of authority that we have. So what comfort there is. And this declaration of these ideas um, brings us this relationship of the throne and the sanctuary gives us a feeling of safety from all of the world's forces. Some of you have things going on in your lives. This week, last week, tomorrow morning, you know, Tuesday night at 5 o'clock, you know, you've got board meetings, you've got things going on, okay? And things that are pressing you. But God reigns in all the circumstances. His throne is my sanctuary. And then the eternal aspect, it says, from the very beginning. And now he jumps from that throne on high, on high, powerful, mighty, from the very beginning, to the potter's house. Poverty, the place, a very common place. In verse saw, we saw that the word were the Lord's words. He said, arise, go, and hear. And Jeremiah does something that I think most of us have sometimes struggled with. He obeyed and he went. So often, don't you get that nudge from the Lord that says, you know, you really need some devotional time. You really need to spend time with your wife. You really need to be praying for your husband. You really need, oh yeah, well, I'll get to it. Jeremiah obeyed and he goes down to the potter's house. And there was the potter making something on the will. How does the Lord use illustrations to prove his point to Jeremiah? The throne is your sanctuary. Here's a lump of clay, and he's going to relate this to Israel. Israel, you're my lump of clay. You're the vessel that I'm making. What a great word picture. Just like Jesus taught so often with word pictures. Just like we've seen through the whole Bible. Word picture after word picture. So here's another one. So there's a person, the potter. Not an invisible force, not just blind fate, but there's hands engaged in the process. And if you see him as the person, the potter, the Lord, and you as the clay, then when we read Isaiah 64, but now, O Lord, you are the father, we are the clay, you are the potter, and all we are the work of your hand. And when I look out and I look in your smiling faces, what beautiful work of God you are as you guys have all matured and are maturing and growing in the things of the Lord. What a beautiful, beautiful sight. Secondly, we see in this process power. There's power involved. The wheel is spinning. The clay is going around. The potter's hands is putting pressure on the clay. And he says, we will be blessed by him if we do what he says, if we go his way. So Paul said this when he, uh, in Romans, and he, re, and, he re, and he used their history. He said, for the scripture says that the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised him up, that I may show my power through him, and that, by my, na- and that my name will be declared in all the earth. Therefore, He, the Lord, will have mercy on whom he wills, 
and whom he wills, he hardens. You will say to me, then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to the thing that formed it, to, to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the lump? From one lump he makes one vessel for honor and from another and another one for dishonor. Have you ever asked God that? Why did you put me in this circumstance? Why I'm here? Why is this what you've called me to do? Really, this is what you want me doing? This is what I'm supposed to be doing? So he has a plan for the, for the clay. I thought it was interesting there in verse 4. And the vessel. Now, just in verse 3, he said, I saw the potter was working on the wheel with some clay. But now he says it's a vessel. The potter knows what that clay is going to look like. He's already got something in his mind that he's going offer as he's going with it. He has a perfect plan. And even though we're in different stages of our life and our walk with the Lord, our sanctification, he has a plan for all of us, and he's, and he's going to see us through. In Jeremiah 29, 11, these words which we'll get to in a few weeks, but they're ones that we all know so well, you probably could ask most of you to quote it, but I won't. I won't put you on the spot. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul wrote, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And to the Philippians, he wrote, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He's, He's praying for them. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you, with all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So some of you who are feeling not quite complete, not quite like everything's in place, not everything's going just right, that this week you got some bad news you didn't need, and all of those types of things that are pressing on you, you need to know that the potter knows what he's doing as he's working with the clay. The next P in this, in this process, the potter is patient while he works on the clay. I wish sometimes he wasn't so patient. I wish he'd just get to it and finish the job and set us up to whatever we're going to be. But he's molding it into shape. And he has been patient with us. Sometimes in our rebellion, he's been very patient with us. He hasn't left us. He didn't throw us out and pick up another lump of clay and start over. But he took the same clay and started to use it. Sometimes he uses the hands of others in our life. Sometimes it's our parents. Sometimes it's our kids or our grandkids. Sometimes it's our spouses. And sometimes it's our boss. But other people's hands are putting pressure on us so that uh, he will make us into what he wants us to be. Jeremiah also saw the clay being the people of Judah. But, but we, are, we are as well, we are God's vessels being made. He has chosen us and is molding us to contain his treasure. Here's some examples. Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy, 
Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. How many of you name the name of Christ and are Christians? Depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the masters prepared for every good work. In 2 Corinthians, he says it this way, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. God wants to work in us. We are his vessels. What kind of a vessel are you and are we going to be? Psalms 103 tells us that we are but dust. Dust and water makes clay. The most important quality of clay, especially what we see here in this picture, is it cannot mold itself, but it has to be molded. It must have the potter. Now, we're not suggesting uh, that you play no part in the fulfilling of your purpose and his purpose in your life. We are not inactive and we're not resigned like this clay in the picture. Um, He wants us to cooperate with him. And we do that in our prayer and in our meditations by obeying his will and yielding to his touch and to his voice. The wheel that's spinning represents life and sometimes we call it the circumstances of life. The potter, though, also controls the will. He controls the speed of the will. He also controls when it rests. Sometimes he'll stop the will and then he'll shape it or he'll moisten the clay and he'll make it better. Sometimes we need that resting period before we face the next spinning of the will. Remember the life of Joseph, sold by his brothers, thrown into a ditch, carried off by merchants and then became the ruler of all Egypt? Can you imagine the story that he went through? You know all the story that he went through so that he could become that ruler. I wonder how many times on that journey he said, really, God, really, you've called me? Really, those stars, really, those people bowing down to me? Really, those dreams I had are going to come about? Really? I wonder how many times, like Jeremiah, you know, I, I thought it was so amazing as I read Jeremiah's prayers and even his prayer. He puts his whole gut into the prayers. He, he doesn't just pray, oh, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I mean, that's not the way Jeremiah prays. He prays, he argues, he, he lets it all out when he goes to the Lord. You know, I like to check every now and then. I think I've told you this. I love to check Romans 8.28 just to make sure it's there. Because sometimes I'm going through things and I say, you know what? This doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. It doesn't feel like there's any value at all in this circumstances, so I check it out. Some of you have told this story too, so so those of you who've heard it, sorry, you're going to hear it twice. But 828 rocks. I mean, it just rocks. And um, we have a very live, passionate, outspoken, boca grande for you who speak Spanish granddaughter who just really doesn't like things out of order in her life. She likes it A, B, C. Nothing can mess her up because it just puts her on a tilt. So she comes home about once a month on the train from San Diego where she's at the University of San Diego. And then she goes home. 
And so the trip before last, she's on her way home, and I get this call from her at work, and I'm there at the church, and it's 10.30. I said, well, wait a minute. You know, why is she calling me? She's, she's on the train ride. Okay, so I answer the phone. I step out of a meeting, answer the phone, and she says, Papa, Papa, you know, the train, it's going to stop. They're not going to get to San Diego. It's going to go back to Los Angeles. Well, wait a minute. Calm down. Tell me what happened. They said there's rocks on the track. There's rocks on the track. And I got, and they're going to stop and get back. I said, where are you? She says, I'm in Salona Beach. I said, okay, you're almost, you're almost home. That's, you know, northern part of San Diego there. She says, get off the train, call Lyft or Uber or one of those things, and make yourself a way to get to the university. She says, okay, I'll try that. So, she, so we hang up. So she gets off the thing. So I'm watching. I have that find my friends thing on your phone. You know, what's kind of neat is when you pay their phone bill, you can tell them you have to have it. You know, so I'm watching it, watching. So she gets to school. I know she's at school. So I give her half an hour to catch her breath and get to her dorm and all that kind of stuff. And I call her and I said, "Did you make it?" She says, "Oh, yes." But you know what happened? I said, "No, what happened?" And she tells me the story. She says, "I went to the lift place. The car was there, and this other lady was there." And she was going to the University of San Diego, too, and so we were going to split the ride, and that cut the, cut the cost in half. I said, well, that's great. And she says, yeah, but this lady graduated from Yale Law School. My granddaughter wants to go to an Ivy League school. That's her dream, always has been, want to go to Harvard or Yale. She graduated from Yale Law School. She's going back to the University of San Diego to do research work. And the whole half an hour drive, I got to tell her my whole story, what I want to do in life. And she said, well, I know your department doesn't have any research grants, but we do in the law department. Why don't you come on over to the law department and I will help you? And I said, well, thank God for those rocks. (laughs) And she said, what are you talking about? And so I told her, I said, if those rocks hadn't come down on the track and stopped the train, and you hadn't got off, called the lift people, if you hadn't, if you would, hadn't have grasped yourself, and, and, and then you wouldn't have got to meet her, you wouldn't have had that beautiful conversation. She says, yeah. Do you think God was in that? I says, I know God was in that. So, so, now, so now we do... Now we do 828 Rocks. And so I, I made that up with her. And so we've been doing that, 828 Rocks. And then some of you know, a couple weeks ago, we had a little four-year-old who lived next door to us pick up a rock and come over to our car and use it as a blackboard and draw on it. And $1,000 later, we got the two doors fixed that she scribbled on. So 828 Rocks, I told my granddaughter. It just works that way. And I told her, I said, you know what? When you can realize that Romans 8.28 is there while you're going through it or at the beginning of it, not always Monday morning quarterbacking, looking back and saying, oh, now I see God's hand in it. But when you're going through those circumstances of life that you just can't figure out, check it out, Romans 8.28, make sure it's still there for you. (laughs) So Jeremiah knows the clay vessel was marred in the potter's hand. Potter didn't throw it out, didn't start with a new lump. He made it again, correcting what was marred. A picture of what we've been seeing in Jeremiah, the rebellion of man and the restoration by God and by God's grace. That's the way it was then and that's the way it is today. God loves to restore. His desire is to restore by his grace. Why was the clay, which in this picture Israel marred, you can see in verses 11 and 12, He said, Now therefore speak of the men of Judah, saying, Lord, behold, I am fasting to disaster against you because of the hardness of their hearts, it says in verse 12. So their hearts were stubborn and they were going the wrong way. 
We today do the same things, wanting to have our own way. If we could just see the finished product, the vessel, like in the, in the passage we read from 2 Timothy, gold or silver or wood or clay, what would we want to be? We would never disobey him. God is gracious and he's making it us again. We've all failed, but here we are. We're at the potter's house again. We're at the potter's house being molded and being shaped. Then the question comes in verse 5 and 6. Why can I do with you, Israel, as the potter does with the clay, remake you into a new vessel? That's what was on God's heart to his people. Why can't I do with you what potter does with the clay? You know that Israel is a type of the believer in the Old Testament. It's a type of who we are. And so I like when I see Israel, sometimes I take that word out and I put my name in. Well, I could put your name in. I could say, why can't I do with you, Denny, as the potter does with the clay? Why can't I do with you, Larry, like the potter does with the clay, being remade? The best thing to do, though, is put your own name in there. Read those verses again tonight when you get home. Take Israel out and stick your name in and find out how you can do that. Like any uh, allegory, the figure cannot always be, be relied on to every point. In this illustration, the clay has no moral choice. We do. Uh, whereas Israel's disobedience was chosen again and again. Again and again, Israel has been disobedient. They've gone after the idols. In verses 7 to 10 again, Yahweh reaffirms his sovereignty. If I decide to bless a nation, it'll be blessed. If I decide to take down a nation, it will be taken down. And we've seen that in the history. We'll see a lot of that when we get to Daniel. In verses 11 and 12, he pronounces what's coming. He says, I'm going to fashion a disaster. In the Hebrew, the word is yosher. I'm going to yosher a disaster And that is the same root word for potter. So it's the same type of thing. The nation is to be molded by means of the exile. And it will be. The nation will be strengthened. We'll see in other passages what they're told to do. In verse 12, we see the response of the people to this warning, this picture that Jeremiah has been telling them. And they said, that is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans and will everyone obey uh, the dictates of their own evil heart. That is hopeless. We'll walk according to our own plans. Judah was in a tragic place of feeling hopeless to repent. It did not feel hopeless because they feared the Lord. They did not feel hopeless because they were afraid that he would not respond if they changed. It seemed hopeless because they simply did not feel like changing their evil ways. They liked the dictates of their evil heart. They weren't going to change because one prophet or the word told them so. We have to be careful of that. In verses 13 to 17, we read what it will be like. The Lord says, after becoming hopeless, after their evil hearts, then here is a prophecy, and they plot against it. And then in verse, eight, they plot, in verse 18, they plot against Jeremiah. Then they said, come and let us devise plans against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest and the counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. 
Come and let us attack him with the tongue and let us not give heed to him and his words. Then in verses 19 to the end of the chapter, we see another one of Jeremiah's emotional prayers. He pleads for himself. Great honesty and great uh, pleading there. And then he pleads against his enemy. And I've always had a hard time doing that. I've always had a hard time really going after my enemies and pleading so specifically like Jeremiah did. I usually just say, get him, God. You know, let God decide what to do. It's a lot better because I know he's just and I know he'll give him what he wants. But Jeremiah, he's pretty specific there. He goes after him. So in chapter 19, Jeremiah went to the valley of the sons of Hinnom, a place Judah had dedicated and used for the worship of idols. Some of the worst sins of Israel and Judah were committed here. Back in chapter 7 of Jeremiah, we read this about this valley, 7, uh, 31 and 33. And there they built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnon, to burning their sons and their daughters to the fire, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my heart. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no more be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Hinnon, but the valley of slaughter, for they will bury in Tophet until there is no room. The Hebrew is rewritten to Gehenna. When Jesus talks about it, it's the picture of hell. The second kings, Josiah, turned it into the garbage dump for Jerusalem, and it's said that it burned with a fire all the time because the people would take out their trash, throw it there. Jeremiah preached this sermon of judgment. You have forsaken God. You have worshipped idols. You've sinned against God's word. This, this valley will no longer be called Topher or, to, or filth, but the valley of slaughter for what was going to happen there. And then in verse 10 and 11, he breaks a vase. He was told to take a vase from the potter's house and go out with the elders of um, of Judah and preach this sermon. So then in verse 10, he says, Then you shall break the flask in the sight of men who go with you and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Even so I will break this people and this city, speaking of Jerusalem, as one breaks a potter's vessel. Now this is a vessel that's not only been formed, shaped, allowed to dry, but also baked in the oven and been set for use, which cannot be made whole again. It will be broken, which it cannot be made whole again, and they shall uh, bury them in the Tophet till there is no place to bury any more. Jeremiah preaches this sermon of judgment. You've forsaken God. He breaks this vessel. In chapter 18, we see that God was redemptive. He was taking the clay. He was remaking it. He was bringing it to a place where it could be used again. But in verse 19, we see that this vessel has been broken so that it cannot be made whole again. Now, the Bible says and teaches us, and we believe that God is love. It's expressed in three very particular attributes. Grace, mercy, and justice. I like the first two. They're good. 
I like them. I'll take them anytime he wants to give them to me. That other one, justice, I know I deserve it. Sometimes I get it. I know he loves me. I know his chasing is for my good. But all three of these are necessary in God's plan. His grace is seen in the potter remaking the vessel and redeeming it. The marred clay into another vessel as the potter wanted it. We like that picture. We like that story. We like that attribute of God. I love a gracious God. But if a man or a nation tries to depend alone and even presuming that God is so good, so gracious, so merciful, then this illustration of this breaking of the flask ought to wake us up. Because it's broken so that it cannot be restored again. It shows how justice is an act of God's sovereignty and it is actually part of God's love. He must be just. I think one of the dangerous positions for us as Christians or for a nation is to be continuing to sin so that grace may abound. Paul said it like this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who di- who die how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? God wants us to be useful vessels. Me a vessel, you a vessel. You know, vessels don't manufacture anything. They receive, they contain, and they share. We receive the blessings of God and we need to share them. Freely we have received, freely give. That reminds me of an old song we could sing. Freely we've received salvation, so we should share salvation. There might be somebody sitting here, first time, wants to know, what is salvation? Well, maybe they'll tap you on the shoulder and say, what's he talking about, salvation? Well, then you get to share it with them, because you're well trained, and you're well taught. You receive, you contain, you share the blessings with others. All God is asking for from us is to be available, to be clean, and empty, to be ready. Remember in 2 Timothy we read, but in the great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the masters prepared for every good work. You know, if we're a vessel... And we're full of ourself. God can't fill us up with anything he wants to. If we're not being filled, then we cannot share with others. So we need to be seeking the Lord to be filled. May the Lord help us to be vessels for honor and fit for his use. So I have a poem I'd like to read you and ask you this question that's behind me. A vessel? You could put a word in front of it. You could say, me, a vessel? What vessel am I? What kind of vessel does he want me to be? Let me read you the vessel. The master was searching for a vessel to use. Before him were many which one he could choose. Take me, cried the gold one, shiny and bright. I'm of great value and I do things just right. My beauty and luster will outshine the rest. And for someone like you, master, gold would be best. The master passed on with no word at all and looked at the silver urn, grand and tall. I'll serve you, dear master, 
I'll pour out your wine. I'll be on your table whenever you dine. My lines are so gracious, my carving so true, and silver will always compliment you. Unheeding, the master passed onto the brass, wide-mouthed and shallow and polished like glass. Hear, hear, cried the vessel, I know I will do. Place me on your table for all men to view. Look at me, cried the gauntlet of crystal so clear. My transparency shows my content so dear. Though fragile am I, I will serve you with pride, and I'm sure I'll be happy in your house to abide. Then the master came next to a vessel of wood. Polished and carved, it solidly stood. You may use me, master, the wooden bull said, but I'd rather you see me for fruit and for, not bre- for fruit and not bread. Then the master looked down and saw a vessel of clay, empty and broken, and help- it helplessly lay. No one had the vessel that the master might choose, and no hope that the vessel that the master might choose to cleanse, to make whole, to fill, and to use. Ah, now this is the vessel I've been hoping to find. I'll mend it and use it and make it all mine. I need not the vessel of pride in itself, nor the one that is narrow to sit on the shelf, nor the one that's big-mouthed and shallow and loud, nor one that displays its content so proud, nor the one who thinks he can do things just right, but this plain earthen vessel filled with power and might. Then greatly he lifted the vessel of clay, mended it and cleansed it and filled it that day. Spoke to it kindly, there's work you must do. Just pour out to others what I've poured into you. Isn't that cool? That's who you are. You're a clay vessel that the Lord is making. And when you've become marred, he's going to make you new. And he's going to make you fit for his use. And it's going to be perfect. You don't have to be all shiny and gold and bright and have all those things to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for...